Amen. Good morning. Well, Emmanuel has come, God with us. And soon we'll hear, we'll see fulfilled what the Lord says in Revelation, and now the dwelling of God is with man. We look forward to the day in which Christ returns. We're going to begin, we've been doing Christian disciplines, and we're going to, we've talked about prayer, uh, we, we've talked about meditation, uh, and now we're going to do a little, a little series on worship, what it means to worship. Um, music has the ability to move us, doesn't it? I mean, you can hear a song and it just resonates with you. Um, you know, love songs were popular because they resonate with people and, you know, ooh, you know, and your wedding song uh, probably means something to you. It resonates with you. It should. I hope it does. Uh, um, music is powerful. Uh, the Bible hints to the fact that the very first worship leader was probably Satan himself, was Lucifer, that actually almost built into him were musical instruments of worship, that he was the chief worship leader of heaven. And, of course, he's distorted worship. He distorts anything that uh, would go towards God or wants to destroy anything that looks like God. He loves death. He is, you know, uh, you hear about the merchant of death in this trade uh, with Russia. Satan is a merchant of death. He loves death. He loves to kill and destroy anything that is in the image of God. He loves to pervert the worship of God. God tells us that He is to be worshipped, and Him alone is to, He alone is to be worshipped, and He tells us how we should worship Him. Our title for today is Worship by the Book. Worship by the Book. I would ask that you would stand with me as we would pray, and we turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, of course, a very famous passage. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord, I just am thinking of the old Scottish prayer that I hear from Alistair Begg. Lord, make the book alive to us. Make it alive to us, Lord. What we know not, make known to us. What we have not, give to us. And what we are not, make us. For the glory of Christ and Christ alone. Amen and amen. This is what God says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The late R.C. Sproul writes this, The worship to which we are called in our renewed state is far too important to be left to personal preferences, to whims, or to marketing strategies. It is the pleasing of God that is at the heart of worship. Therefore, our worship must be informed at every point by the Word of God as we seek God's own instructions for worship that is pleasing to Him. Where that is true. We are to seek God's own instructions for how to worship in a way that is pleasing to Him. I guess the first question I have here is, well, who do we worship? If I were to ask you, who do we worship? We would probably say, I hopefully would say, we worship God. We worship God. Well, that's exactly who we are to worship. Remember Jesus when He was tempted in the desert by Satan himself, a direct confrontation with Satan. And Satan tempted him with the idea of worship. And Jesus' response to Satan was this in Luke 4, 8. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Worship belongs to God and God only. Tell me something I don't know, Pastor. It's good that we remind ourselves of these things. God is to be worshipped. In Revelation, we read this in Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, O 
Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Because God is the creator of the world, he is to be worshipped. Colossians tells us the same thing in Colossians 1, 16-17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Because God created the world. Because God is holding every molecule together. God is holding the cells of your body together. That is a work of God. This verse here, these verses in Colossians give me great hope because when things are going bad, when the world is going crazy, when trials hit, when tragedy comes, I can know that there's a God who is in charge of this universe. That what my situation has not escaped Him. That He is fully aware. That He is already, He is before all things. That means he's already at the end. And he's the God who provides. And therefore, he is worthy of worship. The very fact that we look at nature tells us that God is to be worshipped. Psalm 19, 1-4 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky proclaims, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. What knowledge? That there's a God who created this world. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So no matter where you live in the world, coming into contact with creation tells you that there is a God who created the world, and He is to be worshipped. God alone is to be the object of our worship. God is to be the chief affection of our hearts. God alone is to be the object of our worship. God is to be the chief affection of our hearts. Worship is done in two ways. It is done privately and it is done corporately. Personal worship is a time of reading, studying, and meditating upon the Word of God. For the transformation of my mind, so that my thoughts, words, and deeds are done for the glory of God. Let me read that to you again. Personal worship is a time of reading, studying, and meditating upon the Word of God for the transformation of my mind, so that my thoughts, my words, and my deeds are done for the glory of God. As the psalmist says in Psalm 9, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. How? With my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. We're to worship God privately and corporately. The main means of which God gets corporate worship, obviously, is through the church. The church is to gather together for the express purpose of worshiping God, of hearing from God, learning about God, and responding to God in worship by giving God what is, He is due. The Bible tells us that we are one body of many individuals. That's what's beautiful about the church. Paul writes in Corinthians 12, 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Paul, writing in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, says this, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. What's so great about our worship is that we're diverse. We're very different from each other. Some of us, none of us look alike. None of us actually speak alike. None of us have all the same backgrounds. Some of you are families. You're from, you know, your Filipino families, your Spanish families, your American families, or whatever whatever it is that you are, we're different. But yet, when we come here, when we come to this room, when we come to this place, 
And it doesn't have to be this room. Because, you know, this room is no more special than if we were sitting in the parking lot right now. It's really no different. We put something on this that maybe shouldn't be there. But that's, that's, just, that's, another, that's a whole other sermon. But as we gather, we're individually members of one church. And what we do here is profound. Because we should, with one voice and one mind, worship the Lord Jesus Christ. It is really the only, at least that I, I know of, Correct me if I'm wrong. It's the only place in which people purposely gather for the same purpose. Tens of thousands of people will be gathering around football games today. They're not there for the same purpose. They're divided. There's two different teams. They want a different team to win, right? Um, we're here. We shouldn't be divided. We want, should want one thing. For God to be worshipped through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we should want. For God to be glorified. To Christ to be lifted up. That our worship would be through Him. And, and, and it, it, we worship Him because He is our Heavenly Father who will one day come and bring us to Himself. Our worship here is preparation for what we will be doing in all of eternity. You know what you're going to be doing in heaven? We ask, like, heaven, what's heaven going to be like? It's going to be less like earth, but without sin. That'd be awesome, right? Um, I, know, I don't know. I've never been to heaven. You've never been to heaven. Anybody who writes books or tells you the testimonies that they've been to heaven and they came back is a liar, except for Paul. Um, but one thing the Bible does tell us is that Christ is going to come for us. And worship is part of our preparation for the return of Christ. It's what sets our hearts and our minds to think about our God, our Father, our Lord. Jesus told a parable about virgins. He says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. We are the bride of Christ, the Bible tells us. We are the bride of Christ. And we have a choice whether to worship God with all of our heart or just kind of, you know, eh, come and go and do what we want. That's, that's actually your choice. One choice is wise and one is not wise. Five of the brides, bride, uh, these virgins, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us in this parable, were serious about worship. Five weren't. Five had their oils in their lamp. They had their oil. They had their lamp. They were ready to go because they didn't know when the bridegroom was to come. The Bible tells us very clearly that we do not know the day or the hour in which Jesus is going to return. He could come right now, right? And the way I understand the Bible tells us that we're going to be caught up in the air with him. So if all of a sudden a bunch of people disappear in the next two minutes and you're left sitting, you're in trouble. <laughs> Things aren't tracking well for you. I'll probably be left in a room by myself. Um, but he says they're going to come. And, and five weren't ready. They didn't have a heart or an attitude of worship for the Lord. They didn't take them serious. And it says this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 10. It says, and while they were going to buy their oil, because they didn't have enough, and they tried, to, they tried to get it from the other five, hey, come share with us. No, there's not enough. No, this is everybody has their own relationship with the Lord, and yet we are corporate, yes. It says, so when they went out to hurry to get themselves ready, it says the bridegroom came, which is a picture of Christ, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. What a sad picture of people who were afforded all the same knowledge, the same teachings, Everything was theirs, and yet they squandered it. 
They didn't do anything with it. They thought they were okay. Notice what they say, Lord, Lord. Didn't Jesus also tell us in Matthew chapter 7 that many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord. And he'll say the same thing. I don't know you. Oh, you did all the religious trappings. Yeah, you had it all there. But worship really wasn't a priority. Worship needs to be the priority of our heart. Christ needs to be the chief affection of our hearts. Is Christ the chief affection of your heart? There's so many things going for our heart, right? So many things in which I could be swayed in, in which I'm, I'm chasing after, and I want, and I desire, but is Christ the chief affection of our hearts? Who do we worship? And then the next question would be, what is worship? What does it mean to worship? Explain to me worship, because I thought it was this. And I thought it was that. What is worship? Well, our text for us today tells us that we are to have spiritual worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The word spiritual is logikos. It means reasonable, rational, or logical. Probably uh, they didn't update in, in that computer. That's why they didn't come up. Spiritual, logikos, reasonable, rational, logical. It's the only correct response to what God has done for us. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament, there's two of them actually, uh, and two Greek words. Uh, Shakal means to bow down. They would bow down before God. They, weren't, they didn't take the posture of standing before God. Makes me think of that song, um, What Will It Be Like? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? I don't know. I would imagine to the knees we'll go. I would just imagine that would be the case. They would bow down. Come, let us kneel. Let us bow down before the Lord, our Maker. The Greek word is to bow down. It's, it's proskuneo. It means to prostrate oneself, to literally lay oneself out flat like this before the Lord. It's obviously a physical posture of trying to state something that's going on in the inside, that I realize who you are and who I am. That I'm going to lay myself, that that you are so far above me that the only natural posture for me is to just bow down and lay myself out flat before you. There's also the Hebrew word, all bad. It means to serve, service, or to work. The Greek is latria. It means service. Those words are not really separated from one another. I'm to have a posture. Uh, I may not bow down physically before the Lord. Maybe that's what you do. I, I would say that's, that is a very good private posture to have before God. Maybe you do. Maybe you bow down on the side of your bed. Maybe you kneel down. Maybe you lay yourself out flat. doesn't matter. There's also the idea of service. What do I do? Do I do something with this God who has redeemed me and saved me? Are there actions behind my worship, my singing, my my giving credence to, so to speak, my, my applauding, if you would, but do I do something else? Is there service behind it? Do I... Serve within the church. Chris Collins from Austin Stone Worship says this, Biblical worship is the full life response, head, heart, and hands to who God is and what He has done. He goes on to say, worship should be our entire life. So we need to have a correct definition of worship. It's not just that I come in here and I sing a few songs, maybe raise my hands and get excited. No, worship is everything that we do as believers. D.A. Carson writes this. 
Worship is the proper response of all moral, sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to the Creator God precisely because He is worth, worthy, delightfully so. If you ever heard D.A. Carson or heard him, that's, that's a D.A. Carson quote. All sentient beings, you have the ability to think. You, God's child, you want to worship Him, ascribing all honor and worth to Him, and you want to do it delightfully so. Do we worship God with a joyful heart? What is the basis for worship? Why should we worship? Our text tells us this. Therefore, I appeal to you, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Why should you worship God? Why should I worship God? Because God is merciful. God was merciful to you and to me. He could have left us in our own, to our own devices in our own ways. He could have just said, you know what? Who cares about you? Go your own way. Do your own thing. I don't need you and you don't need me. Well, truth is, God doesn't need us. We need God. The great thing about God is that He wants us. He wants us. He pursues us. He says, I drew you with cords of love. I want to be in a relationship with you. That's seen in the garden. When Adam sinned against God. And he went and tried to hide and God's words were, Adam, where are you? He pursued Adam, not to execute justice, it was going to be done, but to try to restore a relationship. He says, let's get this thing straightened out. Yeah, you really blew it, Adam, but you know what? It's not beyond repair because before time began, I already had this worked out. Remember the covenant of redemption? By the mercies of God. You know the mercies of God today? You think about the mercies of God? You know that God is good to you? The Bible tells us that God's kindness, His mercy is meant to lead us to repentance. It's not something we should take for granted or expect. God is good to His core. It's His very being. The Lord, the Lord. Merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. What a God to worship. I can't understand, maybe I can, I don't know, other religions who, who worship God out of fear of retribution. And if I don't perform for this God, I won't get X. God says, I love you. You can't perform. You can't do anything. I love you. When God reveals himself to us and we place ourselves within the mercy of God, the only natural response for us is to worship God. It's the only logical response. Why is, it, why is the mercies of God the basis of worship? Well, well, look, when Paul uses the word therefore in Romans 12, he's saying therefore because of all that I written from chapter 1 up to chapter 12, which Paul didn't put chapters and numbers in, by the way. That would have been one letter that he read. That's a device of man which is extremely helpful to us. As Charles Hodge says, this is all the doctrines of justification, grace, election, and final salvation taught in the preceding part of this epistle are made the foundation for the practical duties enjoined in this. In other words, the basis of worship. All that God has done, all that He is, is the basis of our worship for God. Founders Ministries, I don't know if you're acquainted with Founders Ministry from Tom Askell. I would encourage you to go to their site, founders.org. Great ministry, great resources, solid stuff. You know, it's always interesting to me that when, when I'm studying uh, uh, for a particular topic, that God always brings stuff to you. 
right? I, 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 don't, uh, I, I have a, a single Twitter account, and, and, and I'm, I follow Founders Ministry, and, and, and he tweeted out this when, when I began to study and worship, and it is so true. He says, wherever you find anemic praise or worship for God, you can be sure that there is a diminished, there is diminished joy in God. Are you lacking in joy? Are you lacking in joy? You can be sure then that your praise for God is anemic also. It really is true. If I have a real heart of praise for God, of worship for God, I'm not going to lack in joy. Does that mean I'm going to walk around, hey, everything's wonderful, it's great. Oh, I'm in prison today. Oh, I'm this, I'm that, I'm in... No. God, this is the reality of my situation, but I have joy because of who you are. I have joy because you delivered me out of darkness and into your glorious light. I have joy because I know the end. That I know that my Redeemer lives and He will stand in that day. That's my joy. That's a peace that passes understanding. It all comes from a heart of worship. Of being able to pronounce and sing God's praises that are due His name. Psalm 51, 8 the 12 says this, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Are you lacking joy in your life? You're not really praising God, reading His Word, or doing what you should? Well, then it's time for some confession. I will tell you that confession precedes worship. Confession precedes worship. How can I go into God's presence knowing what I've done, what I've thought, or whatever it would be? How many would say, I haven't opened my Bible. I haven't because I just have such a sense of guilt, of overwhelming guilt. I can't let it go. Well, confess it. God, this is how I feel. God, this is what I've done. This is the result of it. Lord, would you please forgive me? Of course, if we confess our sins, he's what? Eh, maybe I'll think about it. No, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's the ability, that causes me now to go boldly before the throne of God. Confess your sins. Confess whatever it is. Confess your need, your hurt, your whatever it is before God. And then begin to sing the praises of God. You'll watch something amazing happen. There'll be a total transformation within you. But if worship is to be our logical response to God, I guess the next logical question is, how do we worship? How are we to worship? And by the way, this is kind of an overview. We're going to go over these things in, in, in deeper over the next, well, except for Christmas. We'll do a Christmas message. Um, in deeper. But how do we worship? We go the, 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 the quote from Dr. R.C. Sproul, the late Dr. R.C. Sproul, he says that we must look to God's word for how to worship. For God tells us how to worship. In theological terms, we call it the regulative principle. Another fancy word for you. What's the regulative principle? God tells us how to worship Him. That's it. We worship according to God's Word. Right? If you've been in Sunday school and you've been going to the London, uh, hearing about the London Baptist Confession of Faith, fantastic document. I don't know if you did the regulative principle yet, Mike, or not, because I haven't been in the class. I've been teaching my own. But the regulative principle in the London Baptist Confession of Faith is this. It's under the heading of religious worship and the Sabbath day. It says this. The light of nature demonstrates that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all. God made the world. He's lord over it. He is just and good and does good to everyone. Therefore, he should be feared, loved, praised, called on, trusted in, and served with all the heart and all the soul and all the strength. But the acceptable way to worship the true God is instituted by Him 
and it is delimited by his own revealed will. In other words, God puts the limits on his worship. Thus, he may not be worshipped according to human imagination or inventions or the suggestions of Satan, nor through any visible representations, nor in any way that is not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. Religious worship is to be given to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to Him alone, not to angels, saints, or any other creature. Since the fall, worship is not to be given without a mediator, nor through any mediation other than that of Christ alone. We are not free to worship God in any way that we want. Our worship here at Bible Baptist Church is very purposeful. In Sunday school this morning, in, in the membership class, we're talking about our ministries. One of the ministries we have, we have a worship ministry. We're not all, part, we're not all up here, but we're all part of it because we should be worshiping together. Gabe leads our worship team, um, and I, I made the comment that, uh, maybe this uh, might upset people, I don't know, I hope not, um, that you'll notice that we're not singing K-Love songs. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about K-Love in a little bit, don't worry. Um, God can use K-Love. Um, but our songs are purposeful. They're theologically sound songs. Because if we're to believe correctly about God, then we should sing correctly about who God is. We're not free to make up what we want about God. And there's a lot of songs out there that may feel good, but if you really think about the theology, so this is garbage. This is, this is utter garbage. This, this will leave me wanting. I'll feel good for a moment, but I'm going to be left in a hole when, when it wears off. Worship is purposeful. Worship is based upon God's character. God tells us how to worship Him. And the things. So, and I am very thankful for the songs that we sing here. We sing songs that point not to the leaders, not to the worshiper leading the worship, not to the people, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how worship should be. That's how God commands worship to be. But there's a lot of ways in which we should not worship God. There's ways in which worship is unacceptable. There's unacceptable worship, which I personally think happens in many churches today. When you see what they do and they make a show and it's a concert and people are coming in on zip lines and it's this and it's loud and it's overbearing and it's, whoa, hold on. Who, who are we entertaining? We can't entertain God. The correct way to look at worship is not that we're responding to the worship team, but that God is on the stage and we're responding to who God is. That's how worship really is. What is unacceptable worship? Well, if you would come Sunday evenings, and as we've been in the book of Exodus, and I would encourage you to come to Sunday, except for tonight. And by the way, the only reason we're not having it tonight it's not because John is sick, it's because the rest of the pastors have a prior commitment we have to keep. In other words, we would be having it. So it's not, well, the guy's sick, so let's just cancel it. That's not how we operate here, just, just to be clear. Um, you would see that God, in the Ten Commandments, or within Scripture, within Exodus, Deuteronomy, and all the rest, throughout all the Bible, tells us that only God is to be worshipped. He says, do not worship, we, can, there, we are not to worship false gods. It's unacceptable to worship false gods. I don't think any of us are into that category, maybe in terms of that we have an idol. I don't think you have an idol in your house. I hope you don't have an idol. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. In other words, God, God wants your affections and your affections only. And He also wants worship to go to Him. Not because He's an egomaniac, because He knows that when we worship Him and Him alone, it's for our good. We benefit. 
God gets joy from our worship? Yes, but we don't add to God. We don't make God more God by worshiping Him. It's just a correct response to who God is. And we benefit from it. Our prayer, when we gather here as the worship team to, to pray, our prayer, my prayer is usually this, that God would be glorified and we would be edified. As God is glorified, He edifies His people. We're not to worship false gods. Isaiah 48, 11 says, For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God doesn't want glory, worship given to anybody but himself. You say, well, I don't have any idols. I don't worship false gods. I don't have a little statue. I don't bow down. I don't this. Well... It could be we worship a job, it could be we worship a checkbook, it could be worship whatever. But if we're going to be honest, the greatest idol is ourself. The greatest idol is ourself. The worship of myself. I am my greatest idol. That's just the natural thing of man. We need to be careful that we don't come into worship for me. But I can worship God, which would be the next point. Or so, well, I, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead of my notes. Paul David Tripp wrote this. He said, self-glory is the enemy of heartfelt worship. When I come and worship God, if I'm doing it for me, what can I get out of it? You know, I'm going to start worshiping God because I just need to feel good. Wrong, wrong. Worship God because He deserves it. And if you start feeling good afterward, praise God, that's a work of God. But it's nothing, you can't contrive that kind of stuff. We're not to worship anybody other than God. I would say, nah, I'll leave it alone. Another way is the worship of, of the true God in a wrong form. Again, in Exodus, where they made a calf. It was the worship of the right God in the wrong form. Exodus 32, verses 7 and 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them, and they have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. If you remember, John, Pastor John taught on this, and I think he's correct. I don't think they meant to say, This is your God, O Israel. And here, here it is. Here's the visible. It's the fact that they took the real God and worshipped Him in the wrong way. They had to put a representation of God and said, Here's your God. I think they really did want to worship the real God, but they just, Moses was gone, the, the media, intermediary was gone, so they said, well, we need, we need something to, to mediate for us, so let's make this golden calf, which Aaron did. But it was still a form of idolatry. It was putting something in place of God, yet with the right intention, yet it was the wrong way. John MacArthur, in his book, Worship, the Ultimate Priority, writes this, Idolatry does not begin with the sculptor's hammer. It begins in the mind. Worship, idolatry does not begin with the sculptor's hammer. It begins in the mind. We also have the worship of the true God in a self-stylized manner. Boy, this is a big one. A self-stylized manner. We have two examples of this in Scripture, of which it went horribly wrong. We have Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, who took, uh, you know, God, again, if you come Sunday evenings, except for tonight, we're not having it. We're in Exodus. We learned all about the incense that they were to bring and to offer to God within the sanctuary. And God said, this is a very prescribed incense. No one else is to make this. You make it for the temple. If any common person uses it, they are to be cut off. They're to be killed. This is such a holy, special stuff. No one else is to make this. No one else is to use this. It is for the priest and for the worship of me only. But these Nadab and Abihu says they took some incense, some strange fire, as it's called in Scripture, and they went, oh, let's look, well, let's see what, how God says it. 
Now Nadab, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Whoa! Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. In other words, they went in in the way they wanted to go into God, and it cost them their lives. That seems pretty harsh by God, right? What if God were to institute that today? We came. How many of us would just fall over dead in the pew? Because we just came into the presence of a holy God any way I want. Something to think about. God did it at that time because God is holy. God has established a nation. It had to be. Just as Ananias and Sapphira died to teach the early church a lesson, so also it happened here. We also have Saul, the first king. He was told by Samuel, I want you to wait for me. I'm going to come, and then we're going to worship the Lord. Right? Samuel was the one who was to worship. Samuel was the one who was to lead. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 13, beginning in 8, it says, He waited, that is Saul, seven days, the time pointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and so the people were scattering from him. All right, everybody's to gather. Samuel says he's going to be there in seven days. Seven days go by, Samuel doesn't show up. The people are like, all right, forget it, I'm out of here. Nothing's happening here, this guy's not coming. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Amazing timing that God has, right? And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said to him, what have you done? And Saul said, when I, here's the key word, I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed. It's all your fault, Samuel. You didn't show up when you should have. And that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he has commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought a man out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So in other words, Saul said, oh, this Samuel's not here. I've got to take matters into my own hand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prescribe worship to God. And with that, he lost his kingdom. It wasn't actually when he grabbed Samuel's robe and it tore. This is before that. That was a secondary event. That just confirmed the first event of which he worshipped in a way he shouldn't. We, we are not given leeway to worship God in any way that we want. And that's why when a church worships, it's important how it's done. If all of it points to how it makes me feel good, and man, oh, what worship there was. I, I had a, an old friend that I haven't seen in a long time. I went to school with him years ago. I saw him uh, 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 here, and, and he was telling me about where he goes to church occasionally and this and that. He goes, then he says to me, when I really want to get juiced up, I go to a particular church. And I said, well, I would never go to that particular church if I were you. Why? I said... Look at what you said. If I want to get juiced up. And so he's like, you know, you're right. Because it was so exciting. It was so appealing to the flesh. And so I'm going to go there and I'm going to get hyped up. So I'm going to have an experience. Because music is extremely powerful. A group setting is extremely powerful. But we don't have any right to do it. It has to be unto God. God needs, the Lord needs to be the chief affection of our heart in whatever we do. 
Man, aren't you convicted on that statement alone? I am. Is the Lord the chief affection of my heart when I wake up in the morning? Is he the chief affection of my heart when I'm driving? Is he the chief affection of my heart when I'm working? Is he the chief affection of my heart when I'm in my family? No. Most of the time, let's be honest, he's not. Let's, let, 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 let's change that through God's power. There's also the worship of the true God in the right way with the wrong attitude. In other words, coming to church, doing all that we're supposed to do, being here, but having the wrong attitude. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 to 10. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I then am a father, where is my honor? This is God speaking. And if, a, and if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts? To you, O priest, who despise my name. What, a, what a, an amazing thing. The priests despise God's name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifices, it's not evil. And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is it not evil? In other words, God's saying, I told you within the sacrificial system, it is to be a perfect lamb. Perfect. One-year-old lamb, that's particularly for the Passover. But a perfect, unblemished animal you are to give to me. Because it's a symbolization of God's perfection. But these guys were just going, huh. Hey, we're worshiping God, but, you know, we got this old lamey goat over here, so let's just take him, and he's good enough, and God understands. God doesn't understand. God has no tolerance for it, he says. He says that, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? It was common to give a gift to, to uh, if you were to go into the presence of the governor or someone, you would give him a gift. Is he going to give him anything? No, you would think about what you're going to give him. You don't give the, the, the rulers of the world, you don't just give him anything. You put thought into it. What about me? This will he accept you or show, show you favor, says the Lord of hosts, and now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift in your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there would be one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. See what God is saying? When you come, when we come, if we come in our own way, the way we want to, we're going to come to church. We're going to be in a building, a church. I'm going to say we worship God, but do it in the way we want. God says, shut the doors. Just shut the doors. Don't kindle fire. Just, this is all in vain. Just leave. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and will not accept an offering from your hand. Worship needs to be according to how God says it to be. We are not allowed to fiddle with Scripture. It's not up to us. We're not given liberty to say this is okay and that's not okay. No. We're to do it as God says. We're to worship according to the book. Isaiah says this. Isaiah 29, 13. It's a passage we know. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips... While their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. I could be worshiping God, and yet my heart is a million miles away from Him. Christ needs to be the chief affection of our hearts. It's because Christ was the chief affection of Paul's heart, of Silas's heart, that after being severely beaten and in a Roman prison, what do they do? They began to sing praises to God. I don't know if that would be the first thing on my mind after being beaten by the Romans, put in a Rome, inner Roman prison. And yet, what did they do? They said, no, Christ is the chief affection of my heart in hardship or in good times. I let, you know what, Silas? This is a great time to worship God. What are you, nuts, Paul? 
Are you kidding me? This is a time to ask God to get us out of here. No, let's worship God. And if God gets us out, God gets us out. And God got him out, right? And it was through the worship of God. It was when God began to worship that what? God showed up, shook the prison, opened the doors, and salvation came to the Philippian jailer. Worship changes our heart. Christ needs to be the chief affection of our heart. Well, pastor, that's great, but how do we worship then? How do we worship? Well, look what it says in Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Starting point, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I'm going to be in an attitude of worship. Or maybe as the old song says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you, Jesus. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do we wake up with the praises of God? Am I thinking about the goodness of God? Am I just getting it? It's another day and I got, I got my things to go. We all have our routines. We know the things we do. It's every, you know, I've had people come to my I just feel like my life is just, I just do the same things every day. I said, well, so do I. <laughs> That's what life is. We do the same things every day. But we need to worship God every day too. Is that part of it? I worship the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I, do I take the time to actually acknowledge Him and worship Him? The psalmist writes this in Psalm 96.9, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Do I worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness? What does that mean? That I recognize that God is holy and I am not? That God has taken His holiness and placed it upon me through the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this at the woman of the well. When there was a debate about worship, she said, well, you know, you Jews say worship in Jerusalem. We say worship in this mountain. And Jesus says, hold on, let's correct everything here. There's a time coming where it's not going to be worship here. It's not going to be worship in Jerusalem. But this is the kind of worship that God wants. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? Well, in spirit and truth, God is spiritual. So we worship him in a spiritual way. And we worship him truthfully, according to his word. James Boyce writes this concerning this. Jesus said to those who acknowledge God's true worth must do so in spirit and in truth. In other words, they must do so in truth because truth has to do with his nature, what his nature is. And they must do so in spirit because they can only apprehend it spiritually. Do we worship God in spirit and in truth? That's how we are to worship God. We worship God according to His Word, according to the book. In our text for today, Paul had laid down the basis for, uh, for worship. Worship, again, is in essence a logical response of the mind, of the ear, and of the hand to what God has done. And our worship here is preparation for what we will be doing for all of eternity. Preparation for what we'll be doing in all of eternity. We'll close with this. Revelation chapter 7. And after this I looked and behold a great multitude 
that no one could number from every tribe, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In Revelation 21, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We are the bride of Christ. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of man, of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I, make, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write down, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the springs of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. What is worship? Worship is giving to God what is due His. It is a response of His mercies to me in bringing me out of darkness and into His glorious light. It is my response to Christ being the chief affection of my heart. It's my hope and my prayer that we all More and more, worship the Lord as He declares privately and publicly for His glory and for our edification. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You allow us to worship You. Thank You, Lord God, that You are preparing us for the eternal weight of glory. And Lord, may You in these times, these crooked and perverse times in which we live, May you be the chief affection of our heart. May you be the sole object of our worship. May we desire to be in your presence more than anywhere else. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand. Let's close in a song.
Praise his name. God bless you all.